Marketing, entrepreneurship, and all things small business. You're listening to the Profit 911 Podcast. Now, here's your host, Justin Miller. All right, we're back for another episode of the podcast. We got three three people around the table. I just want to call you Harvard now. I'd be like, hey, Harvard, what's up? Hey, they might not know about that yet. (laughs) Sometimes we don't record these in order. Um, Sitting at the table, I got Kevin, my co-host, but right next to me, I went to our, our floor back here. And I grabbed our project manager. This is Al. Al, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Al is project manager. His job around here is to keep things on track. And I've basically tasked him with making sure stuff goes faster. So he comes from an Air Force background, which I figured they got things that go fast. So that would make things go fast here. (laughs) Great analogy. (laughs) Way to look at it. But uh, so a lot of people are going to find this interesting. So you you moved from armed forces to private enterprise. And not only just private enterprise, you came to work for a small company, which like people like me that run small companies, we look at government and all we see is waste. (laughs) So I want kind of, and you had a little exposure to it, right? Tell me about, you know, like family business that your dad runs that you had worked in. Tell me a little about that. Yeah, my uh, my father owns a small landscaping, lawn care business, that kind of thing. And I initially jumped in with him coming out of the service. And um, basically, he was doing a lot of things that were less efficient than I thought they should be. So I, I really try to turn around his, his business plans about making things more technologically advanced, to say the least, because we he was doing things like using... You know, not even Word. It was like a knockoff of Word to do the mathematical <laughs> formulas for him. WordPad. It was bad. It was, yeah, it was rough. Note, notepad. Still uses it now <laughs> to this day, Notepad. And um, so I'm trying to get him involved with that. But um, that's kind of been my first really, I guess, exposure to business I've had working for since 2001, whenever I was 16 years old. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, this was pretty early in your life then. So at this point, maybe it does make more sense and become more natural. But like, was there like culture shock when you got out of Air Force and went private enterprise? There definitely is. Um, A lot of things in the military are run like a business, especially the Air Force. That's kind of what the joke on the other branches have is that we even have even the, the, the fancy suits that the Air Force wears, the blues, they're even business suit looking. But, um, it is, it was kind of an interesting jump to say the least, but it also helped because the Air Force is, like I said, the, the more business focused type branch. We do track things, not necessarily money made, but money's made in the military in different ways. And I was a jet mechanic, an F-22 mechanic, and we made our money off of every time an aircraft took off. That to us was money. And on top of that, there was a million and a half statistics about everything. Yeah. It tracked absolutely everything and, and how long this took and down to the point where how long it took you to get, you know, this much oil to that building and get it sampled in time type thing. So as far as tracking statistics and, and project management in general, I did have a good reach of that. I've done it for about, you know, I've been in the, I was in the military for almost two decades. So the older you get, the more you get into the project management type positions so it yeah. wasn't a huge culture shock for me, but at the same time, it was because I was dealing with different metrics, I guess you could say. Well, yeah, I mean, we you don't even think about the dollars. You were thinking in terms of time and efficiency and things before. Whereas the entrepreneur, I naturally think about the dollar. I'm thinking, oh, 
that F-22, God, how much does that cost an hour to keep in the air? Good Lord. And then you were, you were telling me some things like when you're planning, you know, like, uh, what is it? Preventative maintenance. You're gonna have to help me with terms here, but Mm -hmm. like they have to come in for maintenance for a certain point and you might have pilots burn off hours just to hit the maintenance point. So the plane's fresh. Explain because I probably butchered. No, that that was exactly right. (laughs) That was exactly right. Um, and the average unit you have is what we basically call the, all, the, all the aircraft together. The average unit is about 30 different aircraft. And all aircraft were made at different times and they all fly different hours. And you've got something that's called, we call it a phased inspection or a planned out inspection where you're going to do certain teardowns. You're going to end up tearing apart major parts of the aircraft and, and you know investigate the inside to make sure there's no cracks and things like that. And they need to be hit at exactly the right time. So sometimes you'll have aircraft that have been problem shells for us and they've been breaking constantly and you need to get those things fixed. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> what's, what's an F-22 worth? What did those cost you? <laughs> billions, billions. <laughs> and then you got ones that are lemons, huh? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, oh, absolutely. Oh, uh, we, we call them either iffies or penguins. <laughs> iffies is an in-flight emergency and penguins because they're the birds that don't fly. So um, we do have a lot of different nicknames because that's the dirty secret about airplanes. Oh, that's scary from the outside oh. looking in. The I... dirty secret about airplanes is they break all the time. <laughs> Great. Good to know. Yes, exactly. The good thing is with fighter jets, you're usually going three times the speed of sound and you're pulling nine Gs twice a day type thing. This is good how? Because those are the <laughs> ones that break. The, 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 big, okay. the big whales you fly on, they just go uh, uh, at about, you know... Maybe maybe two G's at the most, and then you got kids puking everywhere. So it doesn't really work out for them. But so, but as far as slotting out each different type of inspection and different type of maintenance, you've got a minute and a half to make components on one aircraft, and every one of them's got a certain cycle where they're supposed to break down at twenty hours, forty hours, whatever it happens to be. And you have to track all those at the exact same time to make sure that you're getting this one done, and it's not going to affect the flying tomorrow. And is that going to fly the next day? And and how long does it take to get down? And what's the follow-on maintenance for that? Is there paint that's involved? Especially the F-22 has got a lot of paint. I'll just put it that way. A lot of paint that's special about it. And um, you have to plan out eight or nine steps ahead of time to make sure that you're getting the the correct flow and you're not missing and wasting time, really. Uh, uh, Kevin, I'm going to bring you in on this because <laughs> looking at it from a small business standpoint, the, only, the thing I instantly see is dollars flying out and I see waste. But when I hear this process... Can you think of any business that like understands the processes this much? <laughs> no, there's a, yeah. their stuff together. Well, this yeah, much? really, there's a way more process there than I initially would have imagined. And I'm as much as we complain about the government being wasteful, it appears that at least in some respects, the government has got their act together as far as process and the need to have things done. You, it's not like, well, my oil, it, it says I'm over my... Yeah, maybe it's not wasteful. Maybe it's just expensive. Expensive. Yeah, but I think there's, well, I'm sure Relatively. there's plenty, plenty of waste there's as well. Waste. But <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, it's it's not like when my car might be over the mileage and I'm like, I can change the oil next month. You're saying that when a, when maintenance needs to be done, these are, these are super expensive things and we need to do the maintenance when it needs to be done or when it breaks. Well, let's think of a business owner then as a mechanic of their own business. Mm-hmm. Do you think any business owner... <laughs> Hell, you could even do annual. Do you think any business or many business owners take the time to quote break down their business annually, no. figure out what's broken, no. fix it, create a process, create guidelines to put it back in place, Mm-mm. or have the specs? So, I mean, aircraft in particular, yeah. high tolerances, right? Oh, yeah, like Absolutely. like no room for error, none. Yeah, <laughs> um, we get a lot more slack in our world as service providers, right? <laughs> 
But do you think many people even have like the brackets to know when something's way out of spec, if you will? Maybe only if it's way out, because then it's obviously wrong or incorrect. It's when it might be slightly off the track or something's not quite right that you may not notice it or you may not know what to do with it. So you just let it be broken, which leads then to more breakage, probably in theory. If you don't know how to fix it, you might recognize that it's not right, but... So here's a, here's a question. This one's for Al. So how much of the mechanic work is preventative versus repair? Um, that's actually a, that's a really good question. There's there's a lot of both, to be honest with you. We, uh, we call it scheduled versus unscheduled. Scheduled, we're, we're predicted out, and that's the perfect world type situation. Unscheduled is what happens constantly. Because um, let me give you an idea of, of what the average flying was for my last unit I was in, the F-22s. We would fly what would be usually called like a 12 turn 10 turn 8, which means you take 12 aircraft in the, usually in the morning time, it could be, you know, 7, 8, depending on the flying windows open. You fly 12 aircraft. When you're flying 12 aircraft, you're actually getting about 15 ready because you have probably three spares and they're ready to go. You'll fly 12 aircraft and all 12 will take off at the same time. They do their thing. And when they, when they land, you're supposed to take 10 of those 12 and turn them for the next go, which would be, you know, afternoon type thing, noonish type. And then of those 10, you'll take and you'll turn eight of those also in the same day. So you're constantly going on and on and on and flying. And the reason the numbers keep going down is because they're going to break. And they, that's what they do best as they, as they break. They have a joke that uh, aircraft break when they fly. They also break when they don't fly. So you need, <laughs> yes. you need to fly them, but you don't need to fly them too much. But you also don't want to fly them. And it's really a, a catch-22 in, in all aspects of it. But there is a lot of scheduled maintenance that happens. We get sheets and sheets every day. I should say they get sheets and sheets every day right. <laughs> um, of maintenance that they have to knock out. And ideally, it, an aircraft won't break at a time. Or if they do break, it'll be somewhat of an easy fix type thing. But um, oftentimes, for every flight, you'll, you'll, you'll break for something. Like if it's a landing gear issue, you're putting an aircraft in the air, and then you have to have certain places for it. And what's the winds at? And do you have the parts? And do you have qualified people to to jack it. And if you can't jack the aircraft in the air, you have to put it on the ground and you put it in a hangar. Does there hangar space? Does this hangar space have power capability? There's a million and a half different steps gets involved. Whereas scheduled maintenance, you, you do it all the time on every aircraft. And it may be not as often for certain pieces, but you can at least forecast out and say, oh, last time we had this. So let's project that out. And you can really slot the time out much easier. So you spend less time on scheduled maintenance because it's done more often. Well, well, I think a lot of business owners neglect the scheduled maintenance in their business. Yeah, I would say they're <laughs> more worried about the stuff that breaks or yeah, the immediate need. Putting out fires. Yeah, putting out fires, immediate need versus, and I don't know if there's a correlation to scheduled maintenance causing less fires. I would hope that's the case. <laughs> I mean, in theory, you know, and less <laughs> less problems. But yeah, I imagine most, I mean, a lot of small business owners and me included, a lot of times it's just running around putting fires out. Yeah, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to ask about how and if this changes under times of crisis, because we have those in business. Surely the military has them as well. A little bit different stakes, but we'll be right back.
And now, now, back to the Profit 911 podcast with your host, Justin Miller. We're back and we have an interesting one. We are talking talking to Al, my project manager, about his Air Force experience, but ultimately, you know, how we can relate that experience to operations within your business, which is interesting comparison, but actually dead accurate when you dig into it. So we had talked a little bit about scheduled versus unscheduled maintenance. In business, you might think more upgrade, but um, then we turned the corner a little bit to talking about putting out fires, basically. And now I have to specify I'm talking about in the business and not with aircraft. Yeah, not actual fires. <laughs> I've done that. Not, not engine fires. Um, and I want to talk now a little bit more about times of stress and crisis. So deadlines pushing. Um, and maybe it'll be, you know, when aircraft are in combat versus training, um, whatever your experience is there. But from the small business standpoint, we always feel there's a crisis. But a lot of times we end up with what a legitimate business crisis is. We lose a key person. Uh, we lose a key account. Cash flow is you know, struggling. We're having trouble hitting payroll. So I'm kind of curious from this keep the aircraft flying, which is keep the business running, what changes when we're in some sort of crisis or having a response to something versus doing preventative? Sure. Um, there's different aspects of it. When you're actually at home station, um, I was stationed in Florida for a few years, and we'd have hurricanes come in out of nowhere. And um, when I say out of nowhere, they'd be a couple of days out, but they're still, you never really know where they're gonna be, so you gotta prepare. So basically you're dropping what you're doing and you are, I don't wanna necessarily saying you're, you're slacking a little bit on the tightness of how everything's gonna go, but you're more focused on getting the aircraft out because you got a hurricane coming. Um, that's whenever everyone turns and everyone basically <laughs> gets on board with in the same idea and they, they turn the aircraft and they get them out of, out of so are, are we throwing more manpower at it at this point um you can be yes you, you basically the air force has fixed everything as just uh mandatory 12-hour shifts everyone's on 12-hour oh. shifts that's the end which there's debates on if that actually helps really make things happen because you still got to do turnover time and you, you can't technically work past your 12 hours yep. and things like that so there, there can definitely be putting more people on. Um, whenever I was working in a, a section, I would actually put people in, in alternating shifts, stacking shifts to build up times that I knew we needed more people at certain times. That would I'd bring in what I call the, I call the cavalry crew. They would come in at the end, and, hey, I'm ready to go. They would fix whatever needs to be fixed type thing, you know. It actually worked out really well. Um, but it's, it's always a stressful situation. But whenever you add things like hurricanes, or I was stationed overseas for seven years, and we deployed often during that time to Afghanistan and Iraq and Israel and all kinds of different places like that. And when you go there, it's a different, it's a different mentality. You are more focused on getting the aircraft in the air. So they're deployed all over the world. Even right now, they're, they're out there deployed. You're flying basically two aircraft 24-7, two go up. Uh, two, two more come up, those two come down, those two come up, two come down. Constantly 24-7, you have aircraft flying. And that is whenever you are finally, what I, what I consider, you're finally doing your actual job. That's for the Air Force. Because all the rest of the times you're training, you're getting ready to do it. And um, when you're in Afghanistan or where it happens to be, you're actually doing the job. And that becomes very, very important that you were... You get these aircraft in the air. I don't want to say how to <laughs> how to properly right, right. say what you got to do, but um, you've got troops on the ground, and when you're flying these two aircraft, especially my times when I was in uh, Afghanistan and Qatar and things like that, you will do alert also. 
that's when something will pop off and you'll have to send your alert aircraft up on top of your two you may have or four you may have in the air at the same time. That's whenever horns will honk, everyone honks their horns and vehicles, and everybody, absolutely everybody runs to the alert aircraft and you get them prepped. You spin them up, you have about, by the time, it's like a minute and a half to get them off the ground because somebody somewhere, one of our guys, one of our allies is in trouble and you're sending in the, the warbirds, the F-15Es when I worked on them. You're sending the warbirds in to, um, to correct the situation, to put it nicely. <laughs> So I'm trying to think. So crisis response. Boy, I don't have anything in my business I have to respond to in 90 seconds. Thank <laughs> no, God. Thank that, God. Not that fast. No, it would never happen. But it's good. I mean, it's I started out the, the job. I had a beautiful full head of hair and now here I am. So it, <laughs> it can be uh, it, definitely a stressful job. And um, whatever you're like I said, you're responding to alert aircraft. Everything drops and, and you're going on and you're getting the mission done no matter what. And I would say that's the overarching theme of, of what the military really teaches people is you've got a mission and you got to get it done. And I don't care what's in the way, you know, we're going to find a way to get it done type thing. Here, here's, here's a question then. So what often happens in small business when we come under fire? And of course, everything's a double entendre now, not, <laughs> not intentionally, but whenever we come under fire, we can only see what's happening right now. We lose sight of the bigger picture. We, we don't do that maintenance to keep things going. We aren't looking in the future and scheduling out. Uh, my question is, is there a parallel then in, in the Air Force experience? You know, is it all mission now? Or I assume, you know, the aircraft still have to be maintained. I, I actually think you probably would have your stuff together better than a small business owner. But tell me a little about that, you know, how priority and focus shifts. Yeah, um, well, the, the main thing I want to stress about the military is, compared to small business at least, is whenever whenever you get a small business, you kind of get to choose who you're going to work with. You can say, I'm going to hire you, I'm not going to hire you. And you've got experience and you don't. In the, in the Air Force, you've got a, a lot of 18, 19-year-old adults, I should say, and they're coming in from a variety of backgrounds and you're having to corral them into a certain direction. We feel that way about all employees. Sorry, I'm sorry to tell you. Yeah. It might be literal in your case, but yeah. employers feel that way That's even good. with skilled labor. So. <laughs> but you have to um, basically, you're able to corral them and get them in the right direction. The good thing is, is that when you have a lot of experienced people who've, who've been doing this for multiple decades, you're able to focus more and learn from your mistakes. And to be honest, the military has done a good job in the last, I would say, decade or so of realizing that business has a way of figuring things out better than the government does because you're focused on, you know, the bottom line type thing. Yeah, we did, we cease to exist if we lose cash flow. Exactly. Pretty quickly too. Yes. Mm -hmm. And finally, I'm seeing the military is finally embracing this idea and actually bringing in some business leaders to help correct yep. issues which I think is very important because you brought up waste before and waste is a, a very major problem in the military and it, it always has been. And as long as you got leaders who are focusing more on not so much waste and actually getting things to run properly, you can actually get things to run more efficiently. But I'm thinking that the business idea is actually getting more involved and more influential in the military. And here I am trying to steal lessons from the military, and they're trying to steal them from private steal enterprise. Steal right back, yeah. Man. <laughs> um, let me kind of ask about, uh, there's more people in the military than most businesses, obviously, even within you know, one little section of it. But when you're in that crisis response, do job duties shift, or do we still have the person whose job it is to 
you know, watch the preventative schedule and then someone else's job is dealing with crises? Um, basically, your jobs stay the same. Um, you only really get promoted, demoted out of the job, I guess you could say. And when I say promotion, I don't mean you're getting more stripes or whatever happens to be. Promotion could be more of like you're getting put in, in charge of this section or whatever. And congratulations, your pay is not increasing at all, but you're going to have more responsibility. Well, they learned that from private <laughs> I would say that sounds like private business. <laughs> there you go. See, I'm telling you, they're learning things. <laughs> So um, your jobs generally don't shift unless you've you've been pre-pointed out to, to either move to this position or that position, that kind of thing. Okay. So your jobs will stay the same, which um, even when you deploy, your jobs are the same. And they actually, at least for the Air Force, I can't really speak much for the Army and Navy and things like that. But um, for the Air Force, you generally stay with the, the job you're at because you've been doing that one for X number of years, X number of months, you've been trained to do it, you've got to figure it figured out. And if you don't get it done properly, they will move you out very quickly. <laughs> so there's yeah. there's a lot of that, which is helps you as, as a military member, helps you being able to learn things quickly, adapt quickly, and get on board with whatever it needs to be, or at least look like you're getting on board, which is what I do every day. So. <laughs> <laughs> look like Wait you know a minute. what you're doing. <laughs> no, wow. I, 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 I just want to drive that point home a little bit, though, because things don't change then under crisis. The, business, uh, the Air Force has processes, procedures. The businesses don't. Most of them don't. Or the owner thinks what they're going through in their head has to involve everyone in the company. So we'll say cash crunch is is the example. So payroll, every owner's had this. Payroll's coming up. They don't know where payroll's coming from. Should that affect you know the rest of the team and their jobs? The answer is no. Mm-mm. But will it? And I think in a lot of companies, even if it's not stated, they can tell something's wrong and the, the eye comes off the mission for a little bit. Yeah. Stress of, of, of the owner in meetings or shortness or lack of attention to detail because he's worried about, he or she's worried about meeting payroll. Yeah. I, I don't know how it doesn't affect. Yeah. So I think, I think we have something to learn here as far as, you know, job specs and duties and how that plays into the mission, keeping your eye on the long-term mission being able to deal with crises and it really not affecting the business as a whole, yep. you know, Air Force goes on. They, mm-hmm. that's, that's, you said that's the real work. In our case, you know, when we're responding to a crisis of some sort, it's the pain in the ass. But if it doesn't get overcome, you know, the business doesn't exist anymore. Um, and I think that that's critical. I think that we should really just steal the concept of scheduled preventative maintenance. You know, I call it's going to be planning, business planning. I think it gets neglected. I think we are in repair mode, you know, which if we're talking aircraft, things fall out of the sky. You know, <laughs> the fallout yeah, of the sky is not as obvious in small business, but it rears its head several different ways. You know, we have employee problems, we have morale problems, we have turnover, we have cash flow issues, sales are down. You know, these are all the things that are the lagging indicators of major problems that weren't responded to properly or the process wasn't there to start with. Um, Kevin, any quick questions before we wrap this one up? No, I, I really like that last point about some some semblance of preventative maintenance could prevent many, many fires. Yep. And just the ability to stop putting out fires for a minute and then think strategically and plan a little bit can cause a great upside. Yep. And I want to thank Al for being stolen from his desk for a while. I think we're going to bring him back because I think we have a couple other angles we can play on this one that would be very instructive as well. Uh, as far as what he's doing behind the scenes here. Um, But we are out of time, so thank you again, Al, and we'll be back next week. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the Profit 911 podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave your comments. For more information on how Profit 911 Consulting can help grow your service business, visit profit911.biz.